Hello and welcome to Into the Basement. I'm Jessica Hanna. And I'm Adrian Hanna. And tonight we're not going to talk about murder. murder. I mean, we are eventually going to talk a little bit about assassination and things like that. But tonight we are going to do part one of two on a case that I've been researching for weeks now. Um... That is so full of crazy that I promise you will be entertained. Crazy, crazy. Crazy, crazy. It's crazy how long you've been researching this. I have been researching this for a while. I keep thinking that I'm ready and then it turns out I'm not ready. And now, and so I finally decided that this should be a two-parter because it'll be way easier to break it all down for you. And you will not be walking away from this going, I don't know what I just listened to. That was like three hours of insanity. And also it would be like three hours and nobody needs that. <laughs> so that's a long time to listen to a podcast. Yes, it is. So um, before we get started, I want to talk about, I just want to say that this is my main source tonight is Poison Candy by Elizabeth Parker. Uh, she is the prosecutor in the case I'm going to be talking about. Um, and the book is pretty much like a from the point of view of the prosecutor so it is a little bit biased but I did check facts and I did go back and look at things to make sure that I wasn't just doing one-sided stuff so because not everybody in this case pretty much everybody in this case is a little bit shady and a little bit doesn't deserves a little bit of razzing so so let's get started cool cool uh, we're heading to Florida, Adrian. Florida. So I just wanted to tell you that before we get started. Okay. So this is a Florida case. If there oh, were e- was ever a Florida case, this is a Florida case. And it's about... I'm excited. It's about Mike and Dahlia DiPolito. And for those Oof. of those of you listening out there, if you know... You, if you know the Dip- who the Dipolitos are, you know that this case is crazy. But you may not even know how crazy it gets because the background on Mike in particular and the stuff that happened before the event that we all kind of are familiar with is even more kind of in- insane than what-, what you originally think it is. So let's get started. All right. All right. So I'm going to talk about Mike Dipolito. Okay. Mike uh, grew up in a working class Philly. Uh, in the suburbs of a couple of places called Bluebell and Norristown. I'm not familiar with Philly, so for me, this means nothing. But apparently, this is like a working class neighborhood. Okay. Um, both his parents were addicted to drugs and basically weren't around. But he was lucky enough to be raised by his grandparents. And also, his parents kind of were there. They were just kind of in and out. Okay. And he, he likes his parents. Throughout his life, he does see his parents. He sees his mom. He sees his dad. So this is not a thing where he's bitter against his parents or anything like that. Or they were, you know, total pieces of shit. Like, they were actually in his life. Um, growing up, he was a gearhead. And he really wanted to become a mechanic. But he was also... I, I'm sorry, but I just got to say that Mike DiPolito sounds like a guy that would be a gearhead and totally wants to get into being a mechanic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He doesn't, like, really look like it in the incarnation that all of us know him as, or that I know him as, but I could see where, like, he was, like, a working class kid in Philly in, like, the 70s, and he's like, yeah, I want to work at cars, you know, like, and not, like, he ends up being pretty guido-y, sorry, everybody, but pretty Jersey-ish in a way that we all probably could recognize. Like, hot chicks with douchebag, douchebags, douchebaggy. Gotcha. Kind of. Um, the, the, in, through this entire case, 
as I was researching it, I just kept thinking of that website. And if you guys aren't familiar with Hot Chicks with Douchebags, Adrian can kind of let you in on what that that was. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a thing back in the mid to late 2000s. Uh, it was just a one of those, one of the many blogs that was around that was just a bunch of pictures that somebody found. And it was just a bunch of really douchey looking dudes with blown back hair and hanging out with hot chicks douchey outfits going to the club with hot chicks yeah all the girls are like super smoking and the guys are all like skinny like jersey shore guys yeah like it's pretty obnoxious we made fun of it for halloween one year back when i was hot and adrian was a (laughs) douchebag thanks just kidding babe i love you um so unfortunately despite having you know ideas about being a mechanic uh mike was his parents child and he had started drinking by 10 he was selling pot by ninth grade which eventually was this guy hanging out with drew barrymore (laughs) and he eventually graduated to selling coke and crack he got addicted to both coke and heroin this is all when he's like a teenager and he basically all before he even got into middle school (laughs) well at the very least before he was 16 he was by the time he was 15 he was already in juvie and he was but he was also i can't can't drive yet but i know where all the good drugs are (laughs) but he's also finally he got into treatment i bet he was one of those guys that that chased uh will smith off of the uh basketball court in west philadelphia maybe maybe he was i don't know i mean it's the right age anyway <laughs> but i don't know if i don't know if uh bell bluebell and norristown are in west philadelphia so we can't really can't really say um so he got into treatment and he spent most of his teenage years in and out of rehab when is this what time frame are we talking about <sighs> mid 80s okay mid to late 80s mostly yeah mid to late 80s okay so this kind of coke is kind of the thing back well, then yeah. and but he's also he's just like you know he started drinking by 10 you're really there's no hope for you is right there? you know like if that's if that's your entertainment when you're 10 your drugs are really the only way to go after that you know what i mean uh, luckily he was able to get clean for about five and a half years. I, I don't know exactly the time frame on this. So I don't know if he was clean from 16 to 21. I don't know if he was clean from 17 to 22. I just know that he was able to get himself clean for about five and a half years. But then one of his friends started taking Percocet. You know, like you do. Like you do. And then they all started taking Percocet and then he got re-addicted. And then of course his heroin addiction came back and... So he want and he needed to pay for it. So then he started selling crack on a street corner in. The well, you Do- got to make your money somehow. <laughs> in the Dominican part of North Philly, where he was known as White Boy Mike. So in 1993, when he was 22. Okay, so okay. we're, we're kind of getting to where we can kind of track when things are happening now. Mike got arrested in Philly for possession and intent to deliver drugs. What's weird about this case is that he didn't, he skipped his hearing and a bench warrant was put out on him, but then they never like looked for him and he's, the case has never been solved. Like never, they never like finished it. So maybe they have since then, but at this point, like by all the research that I've, I've done so far, they haven't actually settled the, the, this He case just had yet. an open bench warrant. He had an open bench warrant in Philly. So. Well, I think, I, I feel like, like bench warrants are it's just a thing where it like sits in in like some system somewhere and so if you get pulled, pulled over, over or arrested or, yeah. or something your name pops up yeah. and then they can just get you then but nobody's actually doing any active searching for you yeah, they're just like really... they're just like okay so this guy skipped his hearing so uh the next time that we catch him wherever that is just bring him in right so 
But what do I know? <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> Let us know. Um, so in 1990s, no, I'm sorry. Looked a little bit up on that one. So it seems as if Mike always had a little bit of a blind spot where it comes to ladies. And this is going to come back. Ladies. This is going to come back again pretty hard later on. Um, during his time when he was selling drugs in North Philly, he allowed a pretty, a pretty girl. This was specified that it was a pretty girl to basically rip him off for dime bag after dime bag after dime bag after dime bag. Gotcha. And when his bosses were like, you need to like beat her in the head with a baseball bat for not paying for her drugs. He was like, I don't think so. I'm not going to beat on a girl. Yeah, but dude, she's hot. (laughs) Also, probably that has lots of. And instead, they, they, a group of about 30 guys beat the hell out of him. And he was, it was, he was almost unconscious and somebody, some, some kid pulled him out and brought him to the hospital. And his last thought before he passed out was totally worth it. (laughs) I don't think she was though. (laughs) She doesn't, I don't, we don't, I don't know who the girl was, but I don't think she was worth it um but anyway after he left the hospital he decided he should probably get the fuck out of philly right and he so he went to live with his uncle in bel-air <laughs> no he actually in 97 he moved to boca raton florida so here's where in florida begins all right uh he and now it's time for the good stuff now it's time for the good stuff even though we've already got quite a bit of good stuff early on so he remained addicted to drugs um for a little bit i think mostly coke and heroin at this point um well yeah because he didn't know where to hook up any of the other stuff but he also sold he was new in town but he sold ecstasy because he met a girl outside of some you know like rave or something and she was like you want to sell ecstasy with me and he's like sure so but that didn't really pan out so he started he took a boiler room job do you know what a boiler room is i do know what a boiler room is okay like like the 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 very shady like um, I don't think I I don't I think that you are thinking of a different type of boiler room than I am thinking. I'm of. not. I am not talking about a boiler room with a boiler in it. Okay. I'm talking, we are talking about different types yes. of jobs. <laughs> I'm talking about a boiler room that is like um, bad uh, stock stuff. So guys will get on the phone. Okay. And they'll try to get so, uh, like a, a stock dumping thing, where you where where you 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 get on the phone and you convince people to buy uh penny stocks and then you you uh dump them to to uh to lower the price and then you sh- or you short them and then you lower the price and then you make a, m- a bunch of money off of other people losing a shitload of money because you basically forced them into buying the- these stocks thinking that they were going to get a good deal on it see you're thinking of like probably a more legit boiler room than this was <laughs> oh no that's 100 percent illegal <laughs> oh but probably more legit than what this was, is okay. what I'm saying. So these are, like, basically he took a, he, he was selling gold coins. So he was, like, telling guys that they give him money and he'd send them gold, gold coins, but then the coins would never show up. Gotcha. That kind of thing. So okay. it was a, it was a commodities, not a... Not actual stocks? Not actual stocks. Okay. So he was... he was Buy our new set of commemorative NASCAR plates. <laughs> he was, I guess he was really good at the job, but he didn't care for it because it was like cold calling. And no, if you've ever done a cold calling job, even it sucks. But in this situation... I mean, I guess they, they, they just didn't have a list of like guys they could just call who they, they were dependent on. Well, yeah, because... That's kind of the thing. Because you're scamming the crap <laughs> out of people. people. Oh, but, here's our good list of good clients. <laughs> But he didn't. We know they'll buy anything we try and sell them. <laughs> but he didn't. He didn't care for it because even if he was, even though he was good at it, it was it was just very stressful. Right. So he then took a job trading foreign current currency, where all he had to do, and this is this is what I remember from the from the movie Boiler Room that stars Giovanni Ribisi and uh, Vin Diesel, and is it Vin Diesel? 
I think so. Where they like so basically all he had to do was get a fish on the line. So he all he had to do is get a guy to say, Yeah, I'm interested, and then he would pass it on to somebody to sit to actually make it. the sale. Yeah. Okay. Um and he liked that. He thought that was great. And but even more than that, he learned the job from the ground up and kind of understood what to do and kind of got a feel for what to do. And so he was he really like he knew the business in and out. And it was all super fun and games because the business, quote unquote business, was that any quote unquote brokers would just pocket the money. It wasn't even like it would go into like somebody else's pocket. It went into your pocket. Most of it went into your pocket or a cut up got went to everybody. Everyone had, I guess I'm saying this wrong, aren't I? Everybody who was working would get a cut of whatever was made. Okay. So it wasn't like, you know, just you got one boss guy. It was like everybody was making money on this. Gotcha. And he dug that. He liked he liked just it was easy money. Easy it was easier than selling drugs, probably safer than selling drugs. You're not getting your ass beat every day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but I I feel like I I've seen interviews with Mike and so I can legitimately say that I don't know if he knew it was illegal, because he's not <laughs> I mean, he's not stupid, but he's like naive as fuck, this guy. Okay. So he he may not have known it was illegal like his first time around, but then the feds start started raiding these places, and then he realized it was illegal because they would next day they'd just be like, oh yeah, we're fine, just we're gonna set up across the street. Right. We're gonna be called Joey and Bob's now instead of Bob and Joey's. Right. You know. So and then so he was like, all right, that's fine with me. I'll keep it's doing. Like today it. you're ABC Unlimited, and tomorrow you're BCD Unlimited. Exactly. Etc. Exactly. So. Um, he worked in a few rooms for a few ye- for about five years in Boca. Um, a couple were had ties to organized crime, uh, but that doesn't seem to really. It seems like everything's tied to organized crime down in Florida. Right. So it's not that really that surprising. It's like if you're like, oh, I work for the garbage people in Brooklyn. Well, you probably work for gangsters. Right. You know, like it's just what it is. So, so in 2001, he decided to start up his own shop. M-A-D Financial and C-T-U Incorporated. Um, this was right around the time that the Commodity Fu- Commodity Futures Trading Commission, I don't know if there's actually, I don't think if people call them CFTC, but maybe they do. They probably do if you're in the biz. Um, started issuing licenses, but Mike did not get a license. Well, why would he? his shit is illegal. Yeah. So he's definitely, I mean, he continues to do the same thing. Why put yourself doing. on the radar? Yeah. So he's like working out of his apartment. Okay. Um. And he basically tricks investors out of 200000 in about 11 months, okay. which is pretty good for a guy who's only been doing this for about four or five years sure. and is has just set up his own shit, you know? But unfortunately, Mike wasn't like as good as the other guys who he'd been working for before. Mm-hmm. And he ended up getting arrested in about 11 months after he started this business in March 2002. Um, and he spent nearly 14 months in prison before his case was settled. So he had, like, just waiting to get it settled, he was in prison for 14 months. I feel like if you're going to do crime, you have to have, like contacts to be good at it like you can't just go out and be like i'm gonna make a bunch of money by doing a thing and then not expect to get arrested it's like anybody who's who's good at at doing shady underworld shit they always have like some contact like a guy on the force or something that that can that can tell them about stuff before they you know actually get busted or something but he's also doing drugs well yeah i mean he's also still doing drugs at this time so even if he did have those contacts he's probably not 
reaching out the way he's supposed to. Right. You'd imagine I, I mean, he'd have yeah. contacts with them for four years. After four years of doing this shit, he would have kind of gotten to know who he needed well, to yeah, know. Well, yeah, if he was, like, super serious about it. Mm. So... This is what I, this is what, one of the things about this, this is the most important, one of the most important things about this case. He pled guilty to organized fraud, grand theft, and unlicensed telemarketing, which I think is so funny. Right. (laughs) And was sentenced to two years in prison. Do you have a license to call a bunch of people nonstop all day long, (laughs) especially around dinner time in their time zone? (laughs) Well, then you can't do it. (laughs) So he, he pled guilty, and then he was sentenced to two years in prison minus time served. So he only really did seven months after this. But he had to pay full restitution to his victims, and it was followed by 28 years of probation. Wow. That's a lot of probation. 28 years. Yeah. Apparently, he was laughed at by the prison guards when he got to prison because of how bad his deal was. Yeah. They were like, 28 years of probation? You just stole $200,000. Right. What the fuck, dude? So They're just setting him up to fail. So this probation is extremely important to this case, and this restitution is very important to this case, okay? Okay. So after seven months, he was released. And he vowed to basically start a life of sobriety, and he really did. He he ended up living sober, basically from the time he went to prison to for the. I, I believe he's still sober. Um, in two thousand seven was the year he got out. Uh, he married his girlfriend Maria. Uh, he started living his life a bit more structured. In fact, this is a very important thing. He becomes much more. Um, what am I? What is? Why can't I think of the word where people? do the same thing every day routine routine his life became much more routine he liked it that way and this is an addict this is they this is how addicts should live they should have a routine because anything that's that sends their routine off might trigger them to want to drink or do drugs or whatever so he liked living a life of routine he was good at being a guy who got up at this time you know went to the gym went did this did this did this did this so he also started an online marketing company called Mad Media. Okay. Uh, he started to pay back to pay back his victims in payments earned from his new company, and he settled in for life with Maria, who called him a great husband. Uh, unfortunately, he wasn't that great of a husband because in October 2008, while Maria was away for three weeks, a colleague showed Mike a website. Where you could order women off a menu. And he found a woman he liked and ordered her right up. Okay. And she changed his life completely. That t- woman was t- a 27-year-old, tiny, sexy, Egyptian-Peruvian-looking, or Egyptian-Peruvian, she really was, girl named Dahlia Muhammad. Looks Egypt- Egyptian-Peruvian, talks Egyptian-Peruvian, must be Egyptian-Peruvian. That's right. Uh... He and Dahlia spent the next few days together, at first with him as a client, and eventually not so much as a client. Uh, he found her intoxicating, describing her as coy and innocent, but mind-blowing at sex. This is over and over and over and over and over again. Mike will talk about Dahlia and him and how great their sex was. Okay. So I just want to, I want everyone to know that throughout all this, nonstop, they're having great sex. Okay? According to Mike. Anyway. According to Mike, Yes. So when Maria returned, his wife returned, he basically like, he was like, oh, we're getting divorced and the marriage is over. And he moved I discovered hookers. <laughs> I think he knew who hookers, what hookers were before, but he was just like, I found a good, a, a, a hooker that give, gives me mind blowing sex. So um, she didn't know that he was 
leaving her for another woman. She had no clue. Um, until she kind of caught him one day. He was buying flowers and she was like, you're buying flowers for someone? And he's like, yeah, I met a girl online. And she's like, oh, fuck you. Well, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, so, um, Dahlia Muhammad was born in New York City, but her family moved to Boynton Beach when she was 13. Uh, she attended a Christian school and it wasn't much trouble for her parents. I feel like the name Boynton Beach, it's like somebody somebody from New York moved down there and, and started a town and somebody's like, what are you going to name it? And he was like, eh, I don't know, maybe Boynton Beach. Thinking Barton Beach, but in the accent. And then the Florida person was like, the Florida man was like, was like, okay, Boynton Beach it is. Why Burton Beach? I don't know. Oh, you're just pulled out. Of you, that's what it sounds hey, like. Hey, Boynton Beach. All right, all right, all right. Uh, we're moving down here because I moited a bunch of people. <laughs> well, she wasn't much trouble, but she did run away when she was 18. She tried to run back to New York when her parents decided to get divorced, and it, but they got her back. She went. She got on the airplane, but then they at, in New York they got her at the airport and went. You gotta go back home, kid. Um. So. Somewhere along the way, she met a guy named Michael Stanley. She really likes Michaels. Like, almost every guy in this sh- in this fucking story is... She certainly n- has a type. ...named Michael or goes by Mike or something, so... Also, thanks to... Kudos to the parents of, uh, of people that live in Florida now uh, for having the most unoriginal child names of all time. I don't know. She, <clears throat> I think she met Michael Stanley in New York. Okay. I don't know, though. It's a very over, all over the place kind cool. of thing. Cool. Thanks, thanks for spoiling my joke. <laughs> Sorry, babe. <laughs> so um, he, Michael Stanley, I'm going to call him Stanley. Okay. Stanley set her up with a corporation called I, Inc. Um, through That's th- a dumb name for a corporation. Through this corporation, Dahlia actually ran an escort business. Uh, well, we know she's an escort, so we know that she's, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, she had other girls working for her who she would send out on assignment. Uh, they used Craigslist and a site called Sugar Daddy, which I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of. Nope. Um, I feel like it's not hard to figure out what it is. Um, she was basically their madam. She would send them out when guys called and she would occasionally turn tricks herself, usually promising a girlfriend experience, which is, which is usually just like hanging out and like having sex, but also like going to the movies and stuff like that. So, gotcha. so when Dahlia met Mike, she was living in California actually, um, but had come to Boca, de, or not Boca, her parents, Boynton Beach. <laughs> she had lived in, her parents lived in Boynton Beach and she was there to visit them, but she thought she'd do a little, a little business while she was there. Oh, business. A little business. Um, things with... With Stanley had started to cool, and uh, she was looking to come back to the area. Things with Stanley fell a little flat. <laughs> uh, Mike obviously liked her quite a bit. He left her as a Other wife. Other Mike? Yes. Okay. The Mike, when I say Mike, I'm talking about Mike DiPolito. Okay. When I say so Stanley, I'm talking about Stanley and DiPolito sitting in a tree. F-I-G-H-T-I-N-G. I don't know. <laughs> so, but Mike liked her because not only was she gorgeous and didn't... And w- not only was she gorgeous and also gave him mind-blowing sex, she didn't do drugs, which was, of course, great for him. Right. And she barely drank. Like, she would have, like, a half a glass of wine with dinner or something like that. So she was perfect. Plus, she had a little bit of her own money. She had a real estate license. This was a girl who had, like, in his mind, like, the escort business didn't bother him. She was op- open and honest about it. Right. He thought, well... well I mean, that's how he met her. Yeah. He's like, you're a hustler. I'm a hustler. I like that you're a hustler. Let's do this, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and plus, you know, the sex was amazing. So I'm just going to keep saying it was amazing. Amazing. So after he left his wife and rented a place, 
Dahlia moved in with him. She moved back to Florida and moved in with him. Um, things between them started really well. Uh, he got on with her parents, uh, her, particularly her mother, and her Dahlia seemed to know everything he needed before he needed it. Uh, they had a bit of a hiccup. Um, after a few weeks, they had gone to Vegas, and Dahlia kind of flipped out at him a little bit because he went to the gym and didn't wait for her. And so what they a had, jerk. So they had a big fucking fight about it. That's and weird. And he was like... I don't need this kind of drama at all. Yeah. And she was, and he, so he broke up with her and she was furious and demanded that he give her $2,500 for an apartment. Now it could be that she did this because she was like, Hey, I moved here for you. Right. You can't break up with me now and then not, and then leave me without a place to live. Right. You know, so I can kind of see that, but at the same time, I'm like, you've been dating for like a month and you're already demanding a bunch of money from this guy. Like, right. You're the one who made the decision, honey. Even though you're not actually dating anymore because he just broke up with you. Yeah, so, um, they met up a few weeks later to kind of talk through it. And she was a lot more like sympathetic and she apologized. And Mike, for some reason, I've got down here overwhelmed and dumb as an ox, blurted out, maybe we should just get married. And Dahlia's like, okay. <laughs> and so that was that. But so on January 28th. And they both lived happily ever after. And that's the end of the story <laughs> this forever. Whole, this whole episode. So on January 28th, um, so he leaves his wife in October. Okay. October, November-ish. On January 28th, 2009. Mike divorces, Mike and Maria get divorced. Their divorce is final. Official. It's official. On the 29th, he closes on a townhouse in Boynton Beach, paying 238,000 basically in cash. Okay. Nice. But Dahlia Dahlia brokered it through her real estate company or license or whatever. Um, And then less than a week after his divorce was finalized, Mike and Dahlia got married. And he actually, when he was walking out of... The courthouse with Dahlia, he saw his divorce lawyer. His divorce lawyer said, what are you doing here? And Mike goes, well, funny thing. (laughs) So. Oh, man. Did the divorce divorce lawyer give him his card again and say, I'll see you in a little while. (laughs) I I don't know if he did, but I wouldn't swear if he had. So the two of them. Got to drum up that business. (laughs) So the first, basically the first month or so of their relationship, they were adorable. They constantly sent gushy notes back and forth. They kept a little dry erase board on the fridge or they could leave net messages to each other. You know, I miss you. Thinking of you. And this is my favorite thing. They had to, they talked about this in court, and I think that you're going to really appreciate this, so I'm going to tell you about it, okay? Okay. One time, Mike drew a smiley face, then the next day, Dahlia added stick figure legs, then Mike added hands, and back and forth until finally a penis and testicles had been added. Yep. And- <laughs> That sounds accurate for having a dry erase board. Yeah, it's that's pretty much what happens when you have a dry erase board around the house. Yep. But what's funny or is anywhere really, he had to talk about this in court. <laughs> like they were asking him about this scenario in court. So uh, <laughs> tell us about the cock and balls on the dry erase board. <laughs> um, Your Honor, there was cock and balls on a dry erase board. <laughs> Do you have anything else to add? No, Your Honor. <laughs> Anyway, so unfortunately, Mike is on probation and he has this. Yeah, for the next 28 years. For the next 28 years. And he also has been, he's got restitution to pay and his restitution is $219,000. So that's not an obnoxious amount, but also it's a lot of money. Right. Um, And so he had just, he had 
through the last year or so had paid down from 219 to 191 which is awesome mm-hmm. right uh dahlia tells him if he can come up with 100,000 she would put up 91,000 nice so th- that way maybe mike can get off probation earlier if he's paid off his restitution then they don't have to let the court know every time they want to go on vacation right and they can like mike doesn't have to check in with his probation probation officer officer. every week and like there's this idea of like it'll make our lives easier if we just pay it all off let's get this done and then we never have to think about it again we can live our lives right this is all in the first month of their marriage and he thinks wow this girl is great look at how what a sweetheart she is i did not expect this at all let's make it happen right right so dahlia said so they decide because i i don't trust mike entirely in this thing okay mike was a shady guy and he went to prison for it right so mike probably isn't on a fucking level after he gets out of prison he's probably more on the level than he used to be but i think he's still like looking for the easy dollar so it's hard to say where he has all this money so he pays two hundred thirty-nine thousand dollars for his or thirty-eight thousand for his house but where in cash, the money where the come money come from? from? Is it something he got? Is it money he had saved up from before? And if he's got this much money, why doesn't he just pay the fucking people off? And then he doesn't the restitution completely. And he doesn't have to think about it. So he also so apparently he's got another two fifty two hundred fifty k somewhere. Who knows where he got it? And who knows how much more there is? Well, it's mostly who knows where he got it. Right. Um. So because of this, they kind of want to keep. Because per, I feel like it's not all on the level. They want to keep the IRS out of it, right? Right. So he, so she says, "Why don't you write me checks for six thousand, eight thousand, you know, on anything under ten thousand, so it doesn't pique the interest of the IRS?" Right. Mike says, "All right, that sounds good." Um, so he wrote eighty-seven thousand in checks, and then gave her like thirteen thousand in cash, um, to make it an even one hundred. And then she was then meant, of course, to kick in 91K of her own and then send a wire transfer to his lawyer who would then pay whoever you pay right. to make restitution be paid. Okay. Um, she claims that she did this, but the lawyer says, I don't have any money. And she says, oh, maybe it's there's something wrong. We'll wait a little bit. I know I sent the money. Just keep trying to just keep calling him. He keeps calling his lawyer and she's like... She claimed that it had been wired through the Cayman Islands to save on transfer fees. So maybe that had something to do with it. Then the wire had been reversed. And then then she's got to do it again. She produced receipts for this kind of thing. She suggested that his attorney may have stolen it. You know, she's just making excuses as to why this isn't happening. Right, right, right. I feel so, like it, at this point, he should have been, just been like, look, just give me the money and I'll take care of it. Yeah, you'd think. Yeah, but you would think. But, we're you know, gonna, hindsight's twenty twenty, 20 and uh, we're also, uh, what, what, what is it called? Uh, um, hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, no, I was thinking the um, uh, recliner chair quarterback or something like that. Oh, you know what I'm Monday about? morning quarterback. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying that a lot well, of- Well, if t- I was a quarterback, I would have told the hooker to give me all the money instead of trying to send the wire transfer. <laughs> but I'm telling you something that- a lot of times in this case, you're going to go, yeah, that would have made more sense when it comes to Mike's reasoning. Yeah, okay? I, I mean, I get I get it from his standpoint, too, though, because, you know, you know, they're still essentially newlyweds yeah. at this point, you know, and, and he trusts her yeah. implicitly. So why wouldn't why wouldn't that those excuses be a legitimate thing? Well, he gave her three weeks to sort it out. <laughs>
So in the meantime, on March 12th, David Banks, that's my, so we're, we're talking two months, not even a month and a half, a little over a month of being married. Uh, Mike's probation officer, David Banks, shows up at their townhouse just shy of midnight with a half a dozen Boynton Beach police officers. Interesting. Banks had received an anonymous phone call that Mike was dealing steroids in ecstasy. Strangely, Mike had been on probation for six years with no problems. Six down, 22 to go. <laughs> I think, I don't know that it was six years. It was more like, I guess, are you, do you start on probation right when you go into, into prison? I have no idea. I don't know either. So anyway. I would imagine it starts as soon as you get out. But again, what do I know? But I lack the the uh, real world experience to be able to say with any surety. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Hang um, on, let me go commit a crime and no, then we'll find don't. out. I'm okay with you not doing that. Um, so they didn't find anything. There were no drugs there. Obviously, if they'd found drugs, Mike would have been taken away. He wasn't. Right. Uh, so that weekend, with all this stuff that's been going on, you know, there's a wire transfer that's not going through. For some reason, the police show up at their house. Dahlia says, "Hey, let's let's go. Let's get away for the weekend. Let's go to Matt Manalapan." Manalapan, I don't know, and stay at the Ritz. And so they go. Okay. And uh, Mike gets up the next morning to go to the gym. And uh, when he comes back, he notices a group of cops congregating outside his hotel. More cops. And when this is when the valet brought his c- truck around, two of them approached him and asked, is this your car? Mike said, yeah. And they told him they'd had a report of suspicious drug activity associated with his vehicle and asked if they could search his truck. And Mike said... I, it's been in valet ever since we got here. So I guess this is when he's going to the gym. Or maybe okay. he went to the gym downstairs right. of the hotel. I'm sure the Ritz Carlton has a freaking gym in it. Yeah. Um, and he told him, oh, it's been in valet since me and my wife got here. But sure, go ahead. I got nothing to hide. You know, and of course, I think if he's... Come back with a warrant. I think if he resists probation, it gets called anyway. So, you know, he's just being as... To the, Mike Mike is one of those guys who's like, I screwed up. I paid my dues. I am, But now I'm going to be a good guy to the cops. I'm never going to give the cops any hell. If I can mm-hmm. help it, I'm not going to. So the officers were free to check it out. He said, go right ahead. Uh, the search turned up nothing. And actually, one of the cops thanked him for his cooperation and for being such a gentleman about everything. So oh, that's nice. Mike is, a, like, Mike is not a combative guy. I just want to say that. He's not a guy who people are going to go, oh, don't piss Mike off. What an asshole. He's going to beat on you or something, right? So when Dahlia finds out about it, she pan- She calls it Mike's lawyer, who, by the way, is also Michael. For fuck's sake, there's a lot of Michaels in this. His- <laughs> the story of the Mikes. <laughs> and really, you might be right. Florida is terrible with names. So, and they- Mike and the Mike Canics. <laughs> so the next day, Mike decides to fill up with gas, right? Because, you know, they they go home. Right. He, he realizes that he they drove over there. The gas is empty. The, the, the tank is close to empty. Yeah. So. You know, all of those reasons you would go and get gas. Yeah. So when he popped open the gas tank right there on that, little, you know, the gas thing, there's a little plastic bag containing a handful of pills and a small quantity of white powder. Dun, dun, dun. It's anthrax. Don't touch it. He, this is a, Mike is not, does not do drugs. Right. This is a man who's clean. He gets urine tests every week. He is clean. This man cannot possibly be dealing, and he might be dealing drugs, but he's not, this is not dealing drugs. This is like your own personal stash kind of drugs. Right. You know? So he realized it had probably been there when the search happened and that this was probably a setup. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he, he's starting to realize it a little bit that somebody's trying to set him up. Okay. 
So back to the wire transfer. <laughs> I kind of see where this is going, yeah. I think. So Mike's lawyer told him the cash from the wire transfer never shows, okay? Mm -hmm. Mike confronted Dahlia and accused her of never sending the money. Because at this point, kind of seems like she never sent the money, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. He felt he couldn't trust her. And she finally admits that she lost the money. She had tried to make a profit on the wire transfer. I have no clue how this could happen. And she lost all of it because of it. She bet it all on the ponies. I feel like, it feels like she's like, oh, you know, remember, remember Empire Records in the beginning? And the whole, the whole part of that movie where the guy gambles away all the, all the stuff. That's, that's what, that's what happened. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Right. And he's like, that's not cool. I don't care for that. That's not cool, babe. What are we going to do? And she's like, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And he's like, yeah, we'll figure it out. So then she's like, I'll tell you what. I'm going to be selling a few more houses. I'm going to be selling some houses. I'll just make up the money on the houses I sell because they're huge, you know? Mm -hmm. He's like, all right. Cool, 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 cool. I trust you, babe. Isn't this also right about the time the housing crisis was happening? Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to make any money off of Yeah, this is 2009. Houses. Nobody's buying houses in right. Florida. Um, so on March 29th, so we're on... The 12th is when the first surprise visit happened. Okay. The 29th, they're out bopping around. Uh, it's a Sunday. So mm -hmm. They're all bopping around doing errands and what have you. And they, they decide instead of going home for dinner, they're going to go down to this restaurant called City Place. Um, I'm not familiar with anything down there. So I, I don't even know if it's still open. We're talking about over 10 years now. So. Right. Um, so when they return to the parking garage after eating... More cops. Lo and behold, there's a dozen cops by their car. Ta-da. Mike jokingly says to her, they must be for us. And before they reached the truck, a police person intercepted him and said, is this your vehicle? And Mike said, ha 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 ha. This is not unfamiliar to me. Yes, yes it is my vehicle. Before we go. Oh, any hey, Joe. No, yeah, it's my vehicle. <laughs> Still my vehicle. So he says, before we go any further, this is the second time this has happened to me in two weeks. Um, he went into detail on the previous incident, then gave them carte blanche to search his car. This time they had brought a trained German shepherd drug dog that immediately hit on something behind the spare tire at the rear of the car. Now, Mike goes back because they need they want to they want him to take the tire off. He doesn't know how to get the spare off. Number first clue. Uh huh. And then they realize the tire has him put on backwards. So they finally get it off because I imagine it's harder to get a tire off when it's put on the wrong way than it is when it's put on the right way. I wouldn't know. I've never put a tire a spare tire in backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so they get it off, and one of the cops finds a cigarette package. With one and a half grams of coke inside. Okay. Okay. Now, this is a call. Somebody said that there was like, I don't know, like what what is the what is the sellable amount of coke? What would it like a like a cube of coke or something? I don't know. A, a brick. A brick of coke was supposed to be in this car. Ah. Okay. So, but the cops, Mike is shocked that there's any drugs, especially in the wheel of his car. Right. Uh, they but. They notice that he's shocked and they, they're not stupid. You know, these, these are cops who are cops and they, are, they deal with this shit more than anybody does. People who think they can lie to cops right. are always, cops are like, you can't lie to me. You're, I'm not fucking dumb. But they're seeing him in Mike. They're seeing a guy who really is shocked. And, but they also, he was honest with them. He's been pulled over in the last couple of weeks. Um, this is really, this is just a bunch of weird stuff keeps happening to me and I don't know why it's happening. And he's being like earnest. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, there's a, it's a cigarette pack with a little bit of coke in it, like a gram and a half. Right. Like you could 
why would you stick it behind your tire? Right. It's not, you don't need to hide that. You said it was a gram and a half? Gram and a half. It's, yeah. I mean, I don't. It's not a lot. No, it's like enough for a couple of lines or something, right? Something like that, yeah. I don't really know, but I just assume that it's not, it's like a, like the cops even said, you could snort all that. You could have that, you could snort three times that before you got the tire off, you know? I like, feel you, like you'd leave more uh, more residue in, in the, the cigarette carton than you would actually dump out, out of the carton if it's a gram and a half have it's so they they notice that it doesn't make sense right like there's no drugs in the car those drugs hidden essentially outside of the car he's told them what's happened to him second time has been drugs essentially outside of his car um when you get a you get you get the right cop in that situation they're gonna put two and two together and figure out that it's very clear that they're getting anonymous tips about the same guy Mm -hmm. and they're not finding they're not finding anything and then suddenly they find something and it's essentially a minuscule amount yeah so they they kind of had a feeling it was a setup, but of course they don't know for sure. Right. So they get his information, but they also let him go because right. they're like, this isn't fucking anything. Right. No, we we wouldn't we wouldn't bust this guy anyway well, for I this mean, amount of drugs. I feel like just because he's on probation, like if he has anything that's like violating his probation, and, but thankfully these cops were smart enough to kind of figure something shady was going on, and so they were just like, yeah, whatever about it. Exactly. Like they should have by rights. He should be in jail, right? Right. Because he's they should have just drug. called his, his parole officer and been like, yo, or probation officer and been like, yo, this guy has drugs on him. Well, that's the thing. And the probation officer would be like, cool, let's send him back to jail. The best way to get somebody sent back to jail is stick it in the in the glove box. You know, why stick it behind the tire? If you're trying to set somebody up, stick it in the ho- in the but car. They're trying to hide it. Some uh, whoever's trying to. I'm saying whoever, whoever. Yeah, is, but they're is trying, trying to is trying to is trying to 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 uh, frame him. They don't want him to find it because if he finds it, then he's just gonna get rid of it, and then they're gonna have to go find more drugs. I guess, but I guess my thing is, is that they're calling this thing in at a lot of with a lot of drugs so that they get the cops' attention. Right. So you're not gonna get the cops. My buddy got a gram and a half of coke in his car. They'd be like, he'll probably, he'll probably yeah. sniff it before we even get to him. Right. We're not worried about him. But like, if you go, hey, there's a, there's a fucking eight ball of, of Coke in his car. They're going to show, or there's 28 balls of Coke in his car. Kilo. <laughs> kilo. There's a kilo of Coke in his car. They're going to go, oh shit, we better go check that out. And then they get there and it turns out the guy's on probation and all he has, the only thing he has is a little bit of Coke, but he's on probation back to jail with you. Right. So, I mean... But I see what you're saying. He could find it easily. But if the she- Machiavellian machinations going on in my head right now is if you want to get somebody and you're going to go about it that way and all you can manage to get a hold of is an, is a gram and a half of Coke, put the gram of a, and a half of Coke in a tiny little bag and then put that tiny little bag inside of a big trash bag and hide it somewhere. So it looks like he may have had a shitload of Coke in tiny little bags, but this is the only bag that he's got left so there's you know there's the possibility that he had a lot more i don't know it's and make it a little bit a little bit more plausible than he has a kilo of coke he hit it in a cigarette container <laughs> well the thing is is that it's all very clearly a setup oh yeah so for stupid, sure yeah it's just it's it's very clearly a setup right yeah so anyway after this incident mike decided that he should probably start um collecting the police reports and keep them in his glove compartment so if he has any more random searches i no longer think mike is an idiot (laughs) well yeah so this guy's got at least an average brain on his shoulders yep so when they left 
Dahlia is driving and Mike goes, did you put that shit in my truck? If I were him, I'd be like, what the fuck was that? Right. I don't understand. But she goes, instead of looking at him or even saying, nope, it wasn't me. I have no clue what the fuck just happened. This is getting crazy, which is what she should have said. Right. She starts driving 100 miles an hour down the fucking highway and only stops when Mike starts screaming at her to knock it off. And basically, they get home. They have a massive argument. I would imagine, this. yeah. But anyway, I'm sure that she calmed him down with that amazing sex. Yep. And the next day... To make everything better, she comes home with a check, with a cashier's check in the amount of $191,000. Nice. And Mike, because he doesn't trust her, he's beginning to not trust her as far as he can throw her and he can throw her far, but maybe not as, I don't know, as far as he can throw himself, maybe. He can't trust her anymore. Um, he really looks at this check. Like he like holds it up to the light and he rubs it on his arm and he like, he like really like gets it, takes it to a bank. He doesn't really do this, but he, you know, like, right. can you make sure like gets a guy in who looks at diamonds to make sure, you know, like that kind of thing. Like Hire, hires, uh, what's his name from, uh, uh, catch me if you can. Yeah. Basically. Is this real? <laughs> is this real? <laughs> so it was, he did find it was authentic, but in place of Dahlia's name was a name he'd never heard before, and that was the name of Eric Tall, T-A-L. She explains that because the wire transfer got all weird, she had to do a reverse wire transfer to this guy, and then he did a check to them for the amount. Okay? Okay. All right. I feel like this is wire fraud in the highest regard. So, on March 30th, they drive to Mike's lawyer's office in Fort Lauderdale. It's about 40 minutes away. They get into the office where Dahlia said, and Dahlia says to him, she no longer wishes to invest the $91,000 into this because Mike's mad at her because she drove like an asshole the day before and he didn't, he thought maybe she planted those drugs. And so she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to have anything to do with this anymore. She waits until they get to Fort Lauderdale and into his lawyer's office before she says to him, I don't want to do this anymore. And she wants her money in her hand today. Oh, this definitely smells of wire fraud. So Enton, the lawyer, is over the shit. They keep coming in. It's drama after drama after drama after drama after drama. Sick and goddamn tired of your goddamn bullshit. Come back when you figure this shit out. I am done with this. So Mike, who has... I just want the goddamn money so you can pay your goddamn restitution. And I don't want to deal with any of this bullshit. So just hand me a goddamn check. I'm not giving cash back to anybody. We're just going to get the thing and we're going to get it done. Get the fuck out of my face until you can make that happen. Exactly. That is probably the, probably verbatim what he said. And so Mike, who's already got $100,000 into this, has about $140,000 left in savings or safety deposit box or whatever. And so he... Goes to a safety deposit box, collects 91K, brings it back to Dahlia in a bag, gives it to her, and she leaves the office. And she was never seen again. No. Uh, he, she then hands him the envelope with the cashier's check inside. He took the cashier's check to his lawyer, hands it to his lawyer, and leaves. Seconds later, his lawyer rushes out of the office and says, look at this shit. He shows him the check. This check is for $191 and not $191,000 like the check of the day before. He immediate, Mike immediately calls Dahlia, who answers on the first ring. She's at the car in the parking lot with Eric Tall, 
Mike meets them downstairs and demands his money back from Dahlia. And sh- and who, of course, went, okay, okay, okay. And on the and then he tells her to get in the car. I can't believe he's going to go home with her. I'd leave her right, right fucking there. And he goes, and on the way home, she says, Eric switched the checks. And he's like, how the fuck did Eric switch the checks? You had it in your purse. Unbelievable. It No. 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 Why would... No. Why would... Why? Why would... No. Do you remember last week when I was like this? That I was doing what you just did? Yes. Yeah. This is what I was reading about. Yeah. <laughs> so... I, re- I I take back everything I said about, about Mike being at least of average intelligence. Okay. But he does... He... he he is pissed, for the record. Uh-huh. He's pissed. Oh, he I would be like, too, yeah. He feels like he's being played. He's not He's not fully, he's not like, oh, honey, it's fine. He's pissed in yeah. there, okay? Oh, yeah. This whole day has been shit, and he does not know what the fuck's go- going on. So they get home, and Dahlia calls Eric, and then puts Mike on the phone with Eric, and Eric tells Mike that Dahlia had lost the money in this dubious wire transfer thing bullshit, and after she lost the money, she was worried that Mike would leave her... And so she told Eric's wife this. Her, his wife's name is Kirian, Carrion, or Carrion. And his wife had come to him and asked him to loan Dahlia the money. Oh, well, that was nice of him. And he, he says, oh, and she says. Do you smell that? Because it smells like bullshit to me. <laughs> so she was expecting to, uh, to make this money back on her real estate clothes or real estate transactions that she's brokering. And that she'll pay Eric Tall back now with this money. But he, when he did this at, the fir- at first, he did this out of the kindness of his heart because his wife asked him to. But now, now that everything is such a pain in the ass, even though Eric Tall has essentially written a check and then met them at a bank right. or met them at the lawyer's office, there's been no, no real pain in the ass for him whatsoever. He would still go ahead with the loan. You're really going to hate Mike after this. But not as a favor as a high interest loan. So for 10 points on the entire $191,000, so Mm $19,000, Eric would loan Mike the remaining balance that he owes. So Mike has $140,000 and Eric will loan him $51,000 to pay off this restitution. And for some reason, Mike goes, okay. What an idiot. At this point, I'd just be like, no, no. Yeah. I'm going to pay this off on my own. Yeah, that's Thanks. exactly. Bye. Exactly. Bye. So Mike agrees to this, of course, and they, then they agree to meet at the bank the next day. So on April 1st, Mike meets with Eric and turns over this $91,000 that he gave to his wife and then had to take back from his wife, plus a cashier's check in the amount of 30000 and an additional 20000 in cash. Okay? Okay. And then Eric in turn has his bank issue a second cashier's check for 191000 made out to the lawyer, which is okay. the person who does the transaction. Right. So after getting to the lawyer's office, Enton presents Mike with a signed document that a lawyer had just faxed over on behalf of Eric, who Mike had just left downstairs, mm-hmm. that would execute a lien on Mike's house as a security for the loan, not something that Mike had agreed to. Right. Mike had already in it doesn't matter. Mike had looked into using his house for collateral for this restitution mm-hmm. and then decided not to do it because his credit was terrible and, and because why would you do that? Yeah. So, Enton stated because he wasn't a real estate attorney and had no experience with property law, especially where a $250,000 townhouse was meant to secure a $50,000 loan, 
because that was all that he was loaning him. Right. He wanted no part of it. He was like, I am washing my hands of this bullshit. I am done with you motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you're doing, Mike, but it's fucking stupid, and I don't want to be part of this. Here is a friend of mine who knows this As a lawyer, I can't advise you on this. As a person who knows you, fuck you. Don't do this. Yes. But he referred, actually, he sent, because Dahlia was with him, Uh he sent Dahlia out of the office to say this, because he's like, what the fuck, dude? Dude, you're getting hustled. You're getting hustled hard. He refers Mike to another attorney. And Mike, who feels like he has no fucking choice at this point, hires her. And she's fine. I mean, it's not like these lawyers aren't the ones who are fucking him over. so. So he, now he has a cashier's check made out to a lawyer who won't take it. So he has to call Eric, who then suggests they meet the next day and get a check issued under the new name of the right lawyer. Right? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. However, at 7.45, so we're talking like he's supposed to meet him at like 8 o'clock the next morning. At 7.45 a.m. the next day, Mike takes his dogs, Bella and Linguini. Nice. Those are excellent doggy names. Yep. Um, out. He takes them out for a little stroll or whatever. Arrives home to discover, two, what else? Two Boynton Beach police officers at his door. They say someone had called the police anonymously and reported that screaming and yelling had been coming from the apartment from the, since the previous evening, that the male tenant had dragged the female tenant wearing only a bathrobe in, back inside the house when she tried to flee, and there was currently banging coming from inside the apartment. Mike was fucking petrified because, number one, I don't think he expected that because I don't think he was abusing Dahlia. Right. And number two, any domestic battery r- arrest would immediately get him sent back to jail. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is worried. And then Dahlia says, no, 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 no. There's, we're not fighting. He hasn't hit me. There's no abuse going on. Okay? Mm-hmm. So they don't take him to jail because Dahlia's like, even, they even like pulled her away from Mike and said, you can tell us if right, he's hitting right. you, that's fine. You know? And she's like, no, he's not doing anything to me. So... He, I think, was expected to be in jail. And then, of course, he wasn't. So he was able to meet Eric that day and at his bank. And then Eric explains to Mike that the teller informed him that there had been too much suspicious activity on this account and that they were freezing it. So they go to a second bank where Eric claims he was told that that account had been seized for fraudulent activity as well. And, I mean, I don't, I mean, he's written like two bank checks. He's written like two checks and one of them didn't even get cashed. To Mike? Oh, yeah, good point. He could have done it to other people. Yeah. He could be running the scam all over. Yep. So Eric told Mike to call But him. also, this is shady as shit, which means... Yes. Yeah. It's just bullshit. So Eric told Mike to call him in a couple of days, and then when the accounts were no longer frozen, and that they get the whole thing resolved, and even that he should hire a lawyer. I'd and- be like, cool, cool, cool. I'll take my money back until that point. Yes. Thank you very much. But Mike doesn't do that. No, he and doesn't. And so Mike tries to contact him. See, if- see me oh. saying me saying this, me saying, oh, I would do this. Oh, I wouldn't put up with that. I mean, like, I can't say, say for sure that that's what, what I would do in that situation. I might very well just go along with all of this shit because it, it at the time it would seem completely on the up and up. But like looking at it from the outside, no. Fuck no. Why would you do this? You're a big dumb idiot. And like, but you know, in the situation, you know, it could have been me. And then somebody made a podcast and talked about how much of a big dumb idiot I am. So, you know, you never know. Maybe, but you're not a big dumb idiot. No, but this, like this smelled from the beginning. It just stunk right, right from the get go. And it's just getting worse and worse. And like every time that there's another like obstacle to this 
actually happening. It's like just another opportunity for Mike to say, no, I don't like this. Please give me my money back. I'll take care of this on my own. Thank you very much. But he doesn't. But he doesn't. And the thing is, is that to add insult to injury, Mike never sees Eric again. Eric never answers any of his phone calls. The con is over because yeah. Mike has no money left. Yeah. And so according to the according to the book Poison Candy, there's actually a name for this con. Okay. Okay. It's called the Spanish Prisoner. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know of this. Oh yeah. yeah. And I've been like that's why I was like, this this has wire fraud written all over it. There was a whole fucking movie uh, called The Spanish Prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got I can't remember who's in it, but it's like literally almost exactly this. Almost to a T. Yeah, it's unreal. Like, you don't think people fall for this shit. That somebody in real life fell for this is fucking crazy. Well, you don't, you wouldn't think that people would, would still be falling for those Nigerian, Nigerian prince scams. And but they that's still also do. a Spanish prisoner. Thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a variation of it, but like, that, yeah, people fucking fall for it. And the reason that people fall for it is because they have this whole idea that, you know, it, well, I can get rich off of this and we'll clearly, I'm, you know, I'm smart and I know what I'm doing. And so, you know, obviously I'm getting, getting one up on other people because this guy contacted me. And so l lucky me, I'm going to make a million bucks off of this or whatever. It's mm, great. So I'm going to read. So this, I'm going to read the, what it is in case our listeners don't know what it is. All right. So, uh, this in essence is a confidence scheme known as the Spanish prisoner. This is directly from Poison Candy. In its original form, a Spanish nobleman is imprisoned in a castle, unable to access his sizable fortune. Funds are needed to raise a private army and rescind the ways of unrighteousness. The speaker, his private emissary, asks for a contribution to the cause, upon the resolu resolution of which his listener will be rewarded handsomely. There are invariably further complications, and further funds are required. Often the nobleman's daughter, a dark-skinned beauty, and encourages the mark with her private favors as a rarefied form of collateral. The con ends when the mark's money or his patience is exhausted. So Mike, in Mike's case, it was his money. So, and the thing is, the thing that gets me is that you say to yourself, Mike left her, right? Right. You would think that. You would think that immediately he's like, I'm done. And I think he may have been real close to it, but because a lot of his friends, he'd lost some friends already over her. I mean, I imagine it had to do with the fact that he left his wife and stuff too. But he, a lot of his friends didn't like the look of her. They didn't like the, the fact that she was every... He's got no money left. Like, she's she's just dangerous, dude. Yep. You got to get away from her. And he was getting close to it. And he was real, real close to walking away. But what do you think happened, Adrian? He forgave her. Nope. Dahlia told him she was pregnant. Ah. And Mike is a good dude. At the this is one of the things that I have to I want to say. Mike is not perfect. He is certainly not a guy I'd hang out with. I think I would punch him in the face every time I saw him. But his heart is really good. And he thought, oh, I'm going to be a dad. And I'm going to be a good husband to this woman who is the mother of my child. So he stayed. Okay. How much do you think that M Maria is laughing her ass off nowadays, thinking back on, on all of this shit that happened to him just because... Because of what he did to because her? Because he left her. Oh, I imagine that Maria is often like... Yeah, you deserve that shit. You deserve that just, shit. Just sit, sitting in her, in, her, in her living room, staring off out the window at, at the neighborhood, glass of wine in her hand, and all of a sudden she just starts chuckling. <laughs> 
just laughing and laughing to herself. And whoever she's living with right now looks at her and goes, what's what's up, honey? And she goes, oh, I was just thinking about Mike again. (laughs) Well, likely because Dahlia was pregnant. They started seeing a marriage counselor, I think. Okay. I think that that has a lot to do with it. I think he probably would have left her if there wasn't a pregnancy. There wouldn't have been a marriage counselor. Man, I wonder if there's a chapter or or like a course you take as as a uh, as a marriage counselor on my wife scammed me out of a shitload of money and now and now we're trying to reconcile things <laughs> and how to deal with that. Because like I, I can't imagine, like, you go into a marriage counselor and it's like, okay, so, you know, what's this rift between the, the two of you? Oh, you know, she just scammed me out of, you know, a quarter million dollars. dollars yeah. Um, um, okay, so this, me? this, 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 this session is over. Um, I'll get back to you and we can talk next week. <laughs> so this one's on the house. Um, schedule an appointment next week and uh, maybe I'll have something for you. Yeah. <laughs> so... Apparently, I mean, you you bring it up, but I would assume, and I think that a lot of their first few sessions with Dr. Happy, by the way, is the name of the doctor, Dr. Happy. Appropriate name for a counselor. Um, much of those, I imagine much of those first few sessions were about the money issue because Mike, oh, for sure, yeah. Mike had lost all his money and she was like, you should move past it. And he's like, I cannot move past it. I need my money back. So, so things are not improving, I think. I think they're they're not I don't really know where their relationship is at this point. I imagine that Mike well, I as can, I said I can probably say it wasn't good. It wasn't great, but the sex is still good. I guarantee that. I guarantee you they were still having sex. It's probably better than ever. So at the beginning of May, so we, April is pretty non, there's nothing really, really happens besides that, you know, she stole all of his money mm-hmm. with her friends. You know, oh that old chestnut. You know, no big deal. So at the beginning of, and she tells him she's pregnant. So at the beginning of May, Dahlia tells Mike she received a phone call from a Detective Hurley at the Boynton Beach Police Department. He claimed, according to Delia, Dahlia. Oh, he got detective? Good for him. Last time I saw him, he was a sergeant and he was searching my vehicle. When you planted drugs in my car. <laughs> I keep calling her Delia, but it's Dahlia. Yeah. Um, Amelia Bedelia. So she tells him that Detective Hurley tells her that Mike is in trouble. It's in some kind of danger. He's in some kind of danger. And so Mike calls the Boynton Beach Police Department. Like he should. And he he's like, I want to talk to Detective Hurley about this person who wants to harm me. And they're like, there's not a Detective Harley, Hur- Hurley. That guy doesn't exist. And Mike's like, oh, okay. Of course something fucking weird just happened to me. Like... Of course, there's no Detective Hurley. Like, what is going on, right? Um, so then on May 27th, they return to the car after they've gone to the gym to find a note on the windshield. And the, this note said, what are we going to say? Nothing. Okay. The note says, <sighs> because, okay, bring $40,000, 9.30 a.m., back to this space and put it under the car behind you. Do not tell anyone, especially your wife. This is like every word is capitalized, by the way. I will tell you all that has happened to you, is happening to you, and what will happen on Friday. Tell no one, come alone. Someone who will help you. I think someone who will help you is the signature. Right. So Dahlia sees this, and she calls the police because she's like, what? This is fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she didn't ask for Detective Hurley right? because he doesn't exist. And then she also calls the number on the note. Apparently, she spoke with a woman who said, who said that she... that. I'm sorry. She spoke with a woman who threatened to kill them if they didn't come up with the money. 
They didn't really believe it, though. So they didn't. Right. Put my, and actually, the cops were like, it's probably nothing. So, but they did go to the spot the next day at, to the drop, and no one showed up. So it was clearly right. bullshit. Um, and then, of course, in June, nothing really happens that Mike knows about. And we'll get a lot more to tell you in the next episode. And then in July, kind of, it's, everything's kind of all right. And Mike decides to get liposuction on his back. Because why not? I mean... Mike is Mike is a nice looking guy. He's big, muscly, kind of tan guy. If he wasn't losing the weight he wanted to lose, he's also in his forties at this point, so he's not losing the weight as fast as he used mm-hmm. to, kind of thing. So maybe that's why he's like, yeah, I could I could use a little lipo for some reason. <laughs> so the day of the liposuction, Dahlia informs Mike that she has a friend in Miami who is a judge, and he had recommended a lawyer who could help Mike get administrative probation. And apparently administrative probation allows you a little more leniency. You can travel a little more. Um, you would re- maybe a little less oversight from your probation officer. Just to, make it, just to make their lives a little easier. Right. Okay. Mike was skeptical, but also, I think, open to it. Mm-hmm. Any chance of getting himself off, any getting a little lighter probation probably sounded yeah, great. He's going to be on this for 28 years, you know? Yeah. She, it's been a couple months since, since she's fucked him over. He figures, all right, we're yeah, back on track. Under the bridge. Yeah, we're back on track, whatever. Um, so he says, yeah, go ahead. Have the guy call me. So the lawyer, a man called Richard, calls him and instructs Mike to write a letter to the judge explaining why he was requesting administrative probation. Sounds reasonable. Mm-hmm. And that because he's going to be in court all day and won't have time to meet them on the on the stairs or meet them at the at the courthouse in Miami, that he should drop it off with their with his paralegal on the stairs at the Miami courthouse. Okay? Nope. Send it to his office. You never meet a person outside of their their place of employment because they may not actually even work there. That's advice to you guys that Adrian's giving you yeah. right now. Yeah. So Dahlia wrote so Dahlia wrote writes this letter for Mike. She offers she goes, I'll write the letter for you, babe. And she writes the letter and they drive to Miami and they meet this paralegal on the courthouse steps. And a couple days later, Richard calls and says, Everything is going according to plan. Um, then on the thirtieth, he calls to say that there was good news and bad news. And the good news is that everything's going pretty much according to plan, except that Mike's house is presenting a red flag when it comes to the restitution because he's got such an expensive Right, house. right. And unless they want it, it seized, even though Mike's not in trouble here. Mike's paying, right. making these payments. Yeah. Mike's not like in collections. He's right. like, he is literally like making, he's already paid like 30 grand of this thing. This isn't like. Plus I'm pretty sure when, when in that situation where you owe like restitution of some sort, they garnish your wages before they'll actually like seize your house or yeah. anything. So, but. They say, oh, unless you want your house seized, Mike should transfer into Dahlia's name temporarily, you know? Right. So, uh, just, oh, yeah. No, I totally believe this guy. Zola. Yeah, this, this seems like completely legit advice from a completely legit person. So Dahlia, of course, made an appointment immediately. Of course she did. She made it for the next day. Yeah, it's for the for the good of Mike, oh, you yes. know? Yeah, it's all, about, totally. it's all about the good of Mike. Yep. Again, this is all hindsight. At this point, she's probably being kind and working with him and being excited about this opportunity. Yep, that's and all it is. And he's like, oh, yeah, absolutely, babe. Let's do this, right? Well, I mean, it. see, the thing is... 
is like you and I are looking at this from the outside and we're seeing all of this thing. But really, the problem is, is that he's just so exhausted from, from all, all the that- mind blowing <laughs> sex that he's having that he's just like this big meat sickle that's just kind of walking around with no brain because he's it, like bare minimum functionality of his brain is all that he can muster to move around. Also, he just got liposuction. Yeah, oh, so yeah. He's tired. Yeah. He's tired, Adrian. Uh, so the lawyer who handled the transfer was confused as to why they were doing so when they were not getting divorced. Right. He said in Florida, it doesn't matter whose name is on a is on the title. Right. The deed. The deed. Everything that you own to everything if you're married is jointly owned. You have to like if you got divorced, every, you, it's fifty fifty. You mm-hmm. know, a so, red flag. So if if you put Dahlia's name on this, Dahlia st- Mike still owes this. Da- owns this Dahlia, yep. and they can still claim it. They can still seize it. Yep. Which of course Frank or Richard should have known. Mm-hmm. Um. So the only way that he's like the only way you could do anything with the house is if Mike was dead, and she they were like, oh okay. Well, still, let's transfer it, da-da-da-da-da, just in case, you know, at least it won't, you know, immediately, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, my judge friend said we should do it, so he clearly knows what he's talking about, so we should totally do it. I mean, why would he try and screw us? I mean, right? He's a, he's a, they're lawyer. He's a judge. He's a lawyer who they've definitely met, never met, so it's, you know, they've met his paralegal, of course, but they've never met him. Well, I mean, she knows him, so she knows that he's a judge. She knows the judge, and the judge recommended a lawyer. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the morning of August 5th is a Wednesday, okay? Okay. Dahlia announces, I'm going to the gym. It's like 5.45 in the morning. She's like, I'm going to go to the gym. And Mike's like, all right, she never goes to the gym without me, but I've got lipo- I just had a liposuction a couple weeks ago, and I'd like to go back to sleep. So bye. And so he goes back to sleep, and about what felt like a couple minutes later, all of a sudden, someone's pounding on his door. And when he answered the door, shockingly... A bunch of cops are there. Oh, I'm so surprised. And they're there with TV cameras. And his automatic assumption, of course, is that he's being arrested for something. And so until one of them said, are you Mike DiPolito? And yes, Mike answers. Still not really sure what's going on. I'm pretty sure that he's about to be arrested. Are these your video cameras? I've seen his... Because we've gotten an anonymous call that these video cameras contain drugs that you had. I've seen the video of this. Mike looks so, like, like he literally just woke up. And he's like, what? And they're like, are you Mike DiPolito? And he's like, uh, yeah. And they're like, um, your wife is going to have you killed. You have to come with us. And he's like, uh... Okay. (laughs) So in his head, this is, you know, from interviews and stuff, he, despite all of this being insane, Mike thinks to himself, of course, of course she's going to have me killed. Why wouldn't she have me killed? This fucking woman, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he goes, can I put some clothes on? And they're like, yeah, I'll go with you, but we got to hurry. She's on her way back. And that is where we will, this is where we will end the episode and start back up in part two of the Dippolitos. Okay. I got to say that that took a turn. Like you started talking about things and I was like, wow, what kind of fucked up shit did Mike do? Turns out Mike just took the fucking brunt of all this. I don't want to say terrible stuff because we've covered some pretty terrible things on this podcast, but like, it's not great. It's not great stuff that happened to him. Oh no, it's fucked up. Yeah. It's people taking advantage of this guy who's trying to get his shit straight. Yeah. Yeah. 
And he's just so desperate to be done and over with with, with this shit from his shitty past yeah. that it's just... Ugh. And he's, you know, hot chick, great in bed. She makes him sandwiches every day. You know, like, this is a guy who's, like, his base instinct. Well, we instinct. don't know that he's great in bed. All we know is that he no, thinks... No, I said she's great oh, in bed. yeah. Okay. She's she's yeah. banging every day. She's yep. awesome in bed. Yep. She's They go to the gym together. Yeah, she's... Dahlia's hot. Dahlia's babe. Dahlia's a super babe. Like, it's not... Like, it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, she's not that hot. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> she's hot. Like, so it's... I'm not surprised that he was, like, blown away by every time... I'm sure she batted her... Eye. And she's a... I, She's a master manipulator, straight Drink. up. We are going to find out that even more in part two. The Dahlia side of the story, from ne- from from basically when it gets quiet on Mike's end, it's not quite on Dahlia's end, and that's what we're going to cover next time because it's just she has got the she's got her motor kicking, and she decides she has things planned that are just fucked. Awesome. So I actually I'm looking forward to yeah. part two because I want to know more. Yeah. I want to know more. I thought I'd leave you guys hanging on on a good one. That was a good one. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening. It's been a fun one, and I am so glad to be done with the first half of the story. That whole thing with the con, that, I was like, what the? It was just like an hour and a half of just pure frustration. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And I was, what's worse is that, is that you, I had to try to understand what was going on. So I had to be like, okay, so Dahlia's doing this and this person's doing this and that person's doing that. And what is Mike doing? Oh, Mike's just showing up. Like, you know, like, it's, right. but it's all like all this crazy shit. So this person's doing this person, this person's doing this, thir- per- this person's doing this thing. And, uh, Mike's just kind of there. Mike's just thinking about his back fat. Yeah. He's just pissed about his back fat. Poor Mike. Anyway, thanks so much. Please, 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 if you like this episode, um, rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the it's, podcast. It's Apple Podcasts now. Oh, it's Apple Podcasts. All yeah. right. iTunes is a thing of the past. Oh. Get out of the mid-2000s, lady. Oh. We're in Apple Podcast I'm land. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. Um, please follow us on Into the Basement Podcast. Um, that's on Twitter and Instagram? That's both. on Instagram on Twitter, we do this every week. We never know what our social media is. It's terrible. <laughs> I keep saying we should put up like a poster on the wall that has all of that information so we never forget it. Or I should it, just but... have it in my notes. Yeah. It's uh, at Into the Basement on Twitter. Uh, please shoot us a message and tell us how how you feel about the podcast or what you'd like to hear. I am always... Send ta- us corrections if you got yes. them. Yes. I love taking... I love taking suggestions because there are a lot of cases out there and it's sometimes it's hard to pick. I really like telling Adrian the crazy ones. He really likes it. He thinks they're fun. So, but I do like cases where we get to make fun of the murderer because they're such an idiot. Mm-hmm. So if you know any of those cases, I'm glad to hear them. Or, you know, an interesting one where like things get crazy, like this one kind of crazy anyway. So please, if you want to, uh, Email us. It's thebasementhosts at gmail.com. And if you have any suggestions whatsoever, we're glad to hear them. We'd love to hear back from you guys. Whenever we hear from hear from a, from our, our listeners, uh, we kind of get a little giddy. We get excited. Giddy, yeah. Especially it's, when you guys like nice. us. It's very fun. Uh, so thank you for listening again. And... Uh, We'll talk to you in a uh, in, in a few weeks. In a couple weeks. Oh yeah, we'll be back. In, we'll be back again this month. We're not going to make you wait all month for the next one. So thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.